0: Where are you from? Often that's one of the very first questions that we ask someone when we meet them for the first time. Uh, And usually we ask that question because we recognize that there is something different about them. Perhaps they look or sound differently to the bulk of the people that we normally interact with that are around us. And it's accents and habits and attitudes and hobbies and perspectives and preferences that stand out. And they all combine to tell a story of where that person is from. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul opens his letter to the Colossians by telling us where they're from. And he gives two addresses. The first address that he gives to the Colossians is that they are from the town of Colossae, which was a fairly remote town in the Lycus Valley in the Roman Empire. And it was a place that, in all likelihood, Paul had never visited before. Uh, and it's a place that is in modern day Turkey today. So that's their first address. They were Christians in Colossae, but he also highlights a second address, that they are Christians in Jesus Christ, that the Colossians had been reconciled to God through Christ and incorporated into the life of Jesus and into the kingdom of God. So although the Colossians may have been born and bred in Colossae, or maybe they had been from uh, one of the neighboring towns of Laodicea or Hierapolis. They had been born and bred in that area and they may have lived in family groups and in a community that blended in with the local culture and the customs of the day. But. They were in Christ, they had come to know Jesus Christ, they had come to him and everything had changed for them. God had met them right where they were at as Gentile pagans in the Roman Empire and had affected a mighty change in their lives. And the Colossians had gained new life. They'd gained a new address and they had gained a new culture and way of thinking and living. And the result was that even those who had known them from like primary school, if you like, had noticed a transformation and a change and a difference in them. And Paul lays out that change in Colossians 1 verses 3 through 8. But we find out as we continue to read the book that he has a concern for the Colossians. And it's a twofold concern. Firstly, he's worried that they are being affected by false teaching and heresy and error that had entered the church. As people who perhaps they interacted with or had come into the church had differing ideas from the apostolic gospel that Paul and his fellow co-workers had preached. So he was worried about that, but he was also worried that the Colossians might relapse into former pagan ways of living and thinking, and so he wants to counter that threat and those threats with gospel truth. Paul saw that the Colossians were vulnerable and needy people, that there was multitudes of temptations to, that were coming at them that were enticing them to turn away from Christ. They were coming from all different angles and all around them and in numerous forms. And so he wanted to make sure that he protected them and he undergirded them. And so he counters the threats of false teaching and, and the temptations to relapse into form and pagan behavior by laying out the absolute comprehensive supremacy and sufficiency and fullness of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And the gospel we find is a message for weary and vulnerable and fatigued people faced with temptations to throw in the towel and to turn away from Jesus. And so towering over the threats and the bad news of what the Colossians faced was the very good news of a wooden cross and an empty tomb and a message that presents Jesus as the only hope for the entire world. Now, this pandemic it has created unprecedented temptations for you and I to throw in the towel and to turn aside from Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the pandemic has, has, has presented multitudes of temptations for us. There's been tears for many of us, there's been disappointments that continue even today. Fears remain. There's been mental health challenges and digital fatigue. Maybe you're a frazzled mum or a stressed dad or a bored teenager or a lonely single or a fussy kid. We're all missing meeting together as a church. It feels like a gazillion years since we last met together way back in March, even before the clocks changed and it was dark and wet and dreary. But today, God is able to meet us right where we're at. He is able to counter the threats that have forced us into tears and fears and made us very aware of our own fragility and frailty. And he does that with a healthy dose of gospel truth. And this gospel truth is not dependent on the strength of our faith. It's not dependent on our ability to gather together. It is solely and wholly dependent upon the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in what we're about to read in Colossians chapter three, verses one to four, we read about the glorious resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, and it explains its implications for our lives. So if you like, Paul is about to tell us our address and he's about to tell us how this new address that we have received is supposed to influence and inform and affect the ways that we live today, even in light of a pandemic. So let's read together verses one to four and jump in. This is what Paul says. More importantly, this is what God says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask now for your help to understand it, that as we hear about our new address and where we are from, where we now live, and who is our life, that it will affect the way that we live right here on earth today. We ask this for your glory, that we we might live differently and that we might bring you glory as we seek you and seek the things that are above. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as you know, Jesus is the hero of all the Bible. He is the only source of salvation for sinful mankind. And he has been sent by God the Father in his great love to this earth. And he lived a perfect life. He died in our place as our substitute on a brutal Roman cross, And in that act, in that moment, he bore the full righteous judgment that you and I deserved for our sins. And he did all of that so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God and that he might make peace through the blood of his cross, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter one. But this Jesus didn't remain in the grave as every other religious leader in history has, but rose again to new life on the third day and is now truly and physically alive, having ascended into heaven, and he is living and reigning, seated on the throne of God at the right hand of the Father in heaven right now. And this Jesus is the champion of heaven. He is victorious over death, he is triumphant over sin and Satan, and he is our saviour and our king. And that truth has everything to do with us today even in the midst of a pandemic in verse 1 Paul writes if then you have been raised with Christ which actually would be better translated since then you have been raised with Christ so for all who trust in the finished work of Jesus we've received eternal life it's been freely given to us it's a gift of God's grace to us and since we have been raised with Christ, since the gospel has effected a mighty transformation in our hearts, Paul has two things to say to us that I've put under the points or the headings hide and seek. But we're going to do them backwards. And that didn't really work as a title. So we're going to do seek and hide, but it is called hide and seek. So let's jump in and look at this first point, this first heading under the word seek. In verse 1b, the second part of the verse, Paul issues a direct command to us that we are to seek the things that are above, that we're to aim for, to strive for, to keep on seeking, to aspire to the things that are above. This word seek is a a command, it's an imperative, and it conveys an active, ongoing, continuous persistence to diligently pursue something that wouldn't normally or automatically happen. And what are we to seek well he tells us that we're to seek the things that are above now obviously I think it goes without saying that's not the furniture of heaven or the physical or material things or the geography of heaven but to seek the things that are above is to seek the joys of heaven the things that make heaven so wonderfully wonderful and so joyful and so magnetic that draw our hearts out but more than just the what of heaven we're encouraged to seek the who of heaven. So sometimes we think about uh, that seeking is, is definitely a longing and a looking for the blazing purity and the, and the perfection and the goodness and the glory of what it will be like to be in God's presence. And we need to cultivate that appetite for uh, eternity. But it's more than just the what of heaven, it's the who of heaven. So Paul tells us we're to seek the one who makes heaven heaven seek the things that are above where Christ is. So we're to seek the risen Jesus who died and rose again to save us and now sits in heaven in unrivalled prestige and un- unchallenged and unparalleled authority. We're to seek the one who makes heaven, heaven. So part of seeking is letting the risen Christ of the cross and of now enthroned on, in heaven, let him capture our hearts and our affections that we're to go after him as the greatest treasure that we could ever possibly possess. Jesus himself said something similar, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 13, when he gives two one-sentence parables about seeking the greatest treasure. You'll remember the stories, I hope, of firstly, a man who walks in a field and he unexpectedly stumbles upon some buried treasure. And as he digs out the treasure and opens the chest, he discovers a treasure so valuable that having done all of the maths in his head, he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field and own that treasure for himself. And then Jesus told a second story about a man who works in the jewellery trade, who was dealing in precious jewels and pearls. And having spent a career searching for the finest jewellery, he one day discovers a pearl of such great and incredible worth. And it was so highly desired that he had no qualms at all about selling all of his other inventory and all of the other jewellery that he had spent a career amassing and selling it so that he could buy this one great pearl of great price. And Jesus in those parables in Matthew 13 tells us that the treasure he speaks about is the kingdom of heaven. And the point is that there is a treasure of such unsurpassing value that true disciples recognise its worth as being worth sacrificing everything else to get our hands on it. That Jesus is a treasure that is And he's rich beyond measure. And it's a treasure that is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for us. And it's a treasure that is more precious to us, should be more precious to us than anything and everything else that we could possibly own. And Paul encourages us here to do that seeking, to be like those men in Matthew 13 Seeking the treasure that is above, the treasure that makes heaven, heaven, Christ himself. And part of his call here in in Colossians chapter three is to recalibrate our own internal compasses away from that inward and temporal looking tendency that we have to being upward and outward and eternally focused. That part of the seeking is centering our lives on the beauties and the eternal realities of heaven and desiring that Christ and all that he is and all that he has done and all of his wisdom and all of his riches would become more tangible and visible to us here and now on earth and that we would be therefore less centered on the things of this earth. So we're to seek but we're not to just do that in some kind of mystical way. Paul lays out a very concrete way of seeking And he does that by telling us a second command in verse two, that we seek by setting our minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things. So a pursuit of the risen Christ in heaven comes through cultivating a healthy preoccupation with the treasure of the risen Christ. It comes through setting our minds on the things that are above. It comes through constant, continuous, fixing our eyes and our thoughts on heaven and the risen Christ. It's a command here to set your mind on things above to meditate on and to dwell upon and to value and to treasure and to cherish and to prioritise our thoughts on things above and the things that are unseen rather than what's before our physical human eyes. Now, be careful, because this is not uh, a call to unhealthy escapism from the demands and the responsibilities and the injustices and the cruelties and the heavy burdens and the stresses of this world. This is not a call to bury our head in the sand and to deny the realities of what is happening around us. This is not Paul saying, hey, Christians, get your head so up in the clouds that you don't worry about your bills and your family and your wife and your health and things of this earth. No, it's not that kind of call. It's not a call to be away with the fairies, walk around in a religious fog, you know, meditate like a Buddhist until you find your Nirvana. No, it's, it's a rejection of an earthbound mindset. It's a rejection of thinking that this world and what it has to offer is ultimate and all that there is. It's a call to set our minds on things above so that we gain an eternal perspective. Colossians 3 and 4 is actually going to tell us that there are earthly things that we need to think about. Wives, husbands, children, workplaces, employers, employees, evangelism. There are earthly things for us to think about. So he's not saying that those things are irrelevant. He's just saying that they're not ultimate. That in Jesus and with Jesus, there is something better than what this world offers us. And so this call in verse two to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things is a call that says, don't get caught up on the things of this world, the values of this world, the priorities of this world, the aims of this world. And then in doing so, allow them to steal your attention and your heart and to become your preoccupation. You know, it's real easy for us to be preoccupied with the size of our bank account, with what our houses look like, with the clothes that we wear, with keeping up with the neighbours and the friends we have in the church or in the neighbourhood or at the school gate, that we can be preoccupied with our successes and our achievements and our positions and our reputations and our stuff. And the result is that all of that crowds in on us and it crowds out thoughts of Jesus and heaven. And when that happens, when Jesus and heaven is crowded out of our thoughts, that's when Fears and tears and disappointments and anxieties and doubts set in. So Paul here calls us that instead of dwelling on the things of earth, we're to let the things of heaven, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, become our magnificent obsession. We're to let the thoughts of our minds be so caught up with Jesus and the promise of the life to come that it affects and governs all of our earthly responses. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, put it like this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves, who (coughs) who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And then he says this, aim at heaven and you get the earth thrown in, aim at earth and you will get neither. You see, what we seek and set our minds to will determine the direction of our walk and our lives. And as we seek to set our minds on things above, we will grow to know Jesus in new ways so that it will become increasingly clear how we can live a life worthy of the calling to which he's called us in this world. You see, the more that we seek the things that are above, the more that we set our minds on the things that are above, the more that our lives here and our walks here on earth will be affected and influenced by them. And the more that we think about eternal realities, the the firmer the ground will be be under our feet. And the more sure-footed and certain we can be as Christians. And the things of this world, Get put in their right perspective, including our possessions and our reputations, but also those tears and fears and fragility and frailty that we experience. And as we seek and set our minds on the things above, hopefully God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's think about this together for a moment. One of the severe mercies of this pandemic and one of the gift of God's uncomfortable grace during this lockdown, I think, has been to slow us down from the busyness and the hurry sickness of the way we were living. One of the gifts of the pandemic, I think, in this lockdown has been to strip away the things of this world that we have perhaps been clinging to as our security and our hope and our satisfaction, and they've all been taken away from us. And perhaps one of the gifts of God through this pandemic, pandemic has been to reveal to all of us that to varying degrees, we have been building our lives upon and around ourselves and the things of this earth, rather than the things of Jesus and the things that are above. Now, I'm not pretending to know for certain, but could it be that one or some of God's purposes in bringing this pandemic into our lives at this time is to expose the vanity and the bankruptcy of life in a fallen world and to create a hunger for something better? Could it be that one of the purposes of God in bringing the lockdown into our life is to convict us of our own vanity? in order to set us free from substitute saviors that we've trusted in and we've longed for and we've idolized, and instead cause us to fix our eyes on the true saviour and to make us wise for salvation in Christ, as 2 Timothy 3.15 says, and to push us on to deeper faith and contentment in Christ. Could it be That one of the purposes of God bringing the pandemic into our lives is to lift our eyes from life under the sun, S-U-N, and instead help us to see the life offered in and by the sun, S-O-N. So as we go into a new normal over the coming weeks, it would be very easy for us to slip back into old ways of thinking, old ways of living. It will be very easy for all of us to very quickly focus on the things of this earth. But let's hear God's word to us from Colossians 3 this morning. Seek and set your minds on the things that are above, where Christ is. And let this break that we've had, this, uh, this lockdown and pandemic that's been imposed upon us, let it recalibrate our hearts Let it reset our hearts. Let it refocus our hearts. Let it reorientate our hearts to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Now, the second thing to say in this passage is under the heading of hide. So hide and seek. We've covered seek. Now let's cover what Paul says to us under this heading of hide. In verses three and four, he gives two reasons. He kind of grounds what he's been saying in verses one and two in two reasons. So he gives us these two commands and then he gives us two reasons why we should do them. And then you see that by at the beginning of verse three with that word for it's that it's you know, there's a cause and effect that he's trying to uh, highlight for us. Do this because of this. These commands I'm grounding in these truths, these reasons. And those two reasons that he gives us are our past history and future hope. So in verse three, he says, about our past history, that we are to think these ways, we're to set our minds on the things that are above, we're to seek the things that are above, because of our past history. We have died with Christ, and in that death, our old ways of living and thinking have been broken and ended, and we have been raised with Christ, and our lives are now hid with Christ. They're hidden with Christ, and at present, it may appear that our our lives are weak and frail, that the Christians aren't secure or victorious. We, We still suffer, we still sin, we still get mistreated, we still die. And the church, it can look weak and irrelevant, especially to the woke generation. We can't even gather together at the minute. But Paul says, our lives are hidden. With Christ. Something has happened in the past that guarantees the future. Our lives have been hidden with Christ. That word hidden can, uh, conveys a, a statement of things have been concealed and things are secure. So, like when you would hide your treasures in a vault or like they did in, in Jesus's day, because there was no banks, because there was no safes, because there was no protection and people would break into your house. They would take their treasures and they would bury them, hide them away in a field. They would conceal them for security purposes so that no one could find them, so that they weren't exposed, so they weren't vulnerable to the dangers and the threats that could come upon them. And Jesus, uh, Paul says here that with Jesus, Our lives have been hidden with Christ, that they are concealed, that they are secure, that they are safe, that they are not ultimately exposed and vulnerable to the dangers of sin and Satan and death. They're protected and kept by the almighty power of God himself. So the good news this morning is this, our lives are not hidden in our jobs. Our lives are not hidden in the economy. Our lives are not hidden in our wealth or our health or our possessions or our good works or even with our family and friends. But they're hidden with Jesus. Our lives are hidden with Christ. And there is an unbreakable, eternal bond between Christ and his people that has been forged by God's mighty hand, that has been purchased by Christ's finished work, and that is sealed by the Holy Spirit. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about the lyrics from the song Before the Throne of God Above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. Who made an end of all my sin because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And then again in verse three, behold him there, the risen lamb. That's the seeking and setting our minds on things above. He's my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am. The king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Saviour and my God. Our past history, our lives have been hidden with Christ. Therefore, we should seek and set our minds on things that are above. But he's not finished there. He also then in verse four tells us about the future hope, that there is glory to come when Jesus returns. And this, the promise of glory, it will come to pass. There will be glory when Jesus returns. We have a future hope, not just the past history, but a future hope. And the future hope that we have, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new and put all things right, is the reason that we can be, as Christians today, even in a fallen world, not crushed, by cynicism and criticism, and not destroyed by despair, even if there's a declining economy or a second wave or other troubles or sufferings that strike us. There are many, many, many things that we do not know about the future, but we do know that our future is bound up with Jesus and that when he comes again, there will be glory and glory will be our experience too. There is a day coming when the risen and reigning Jesus of heaven will come to earth and bring an end to all that threatens us. No more coronavirus, no more cancer, no more pain, no more grief, no more sin, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. That the removal, there will be the removal of everything that threatens us, that has harmed us in the past, that damages or distorts us. And we will be transformed and perfected and everything will be put into its right perspective. Future hope. When Christ appears, he will be glorious and we shall be in glory with him we will share in that glory so let that inform our minds today set your minds on things that are above where Christ is Christ who is where our life is hidden and Christ we in whom we will share glory when he returns in philippians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 paul said this our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So going back to our opening illustration of where are you from, knowing where you are from, where your home is, makes all the difference. Knowing your spiritual address will have a profound impact on your life right now. So if you've been raised with Christ, since you've been raised with Christ, if that is your address, let that inform your life today and seek and set your minds on the things that are above. For Christ is our life both now and into the future. So let's seek him. Let's set our minds on the things that are above that have been won for us bypass history that wait for us as our future hope and let those heavenly realities and those things that are above fill our minds and our hearts and our thoughts today and give us hope even in the midst of the ongoing trials and fears and tears of this world let's pray together